Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. Good to see you all here again this evening. Last night I was pretty new, <clears throat> pretty nervous yet. Didn't know if I dared to pick up a songbook and try to lead a song. However, I do like to have a theme song during the week of meetings, and I like a song in particular that really, to me, kind of puts into words what I hope a heart's desire is. There are some Christian hymnals on your seats. You don't need to use them. If you know these words, that's great, but you do have them there if you're going to have to look. The song is I'm Pressing on the Upward Way. It's number 382. And I would ask that as we sing this, you pay particular attention to the words and then try to sing them as well as you mean them. So I'm giving you permission. If you don't feel like you're present, you don't have to sing tonight, okay? That's fine. Number 382. <clears throat> I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up and let me stand, my faith on Lord, plant my feet on fire ground. 
Amen. Amen. It's a prayer. Lord, take me a little bit higher than what I was yesterday. This is a wonderful thing about a relationship with God is that it's ongoing. Yes, the God who is above all things yet condescends to men of low estate. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Why did God create us? Why did God put Adam in that wonderful garden of Eden? Let's just address it. But we also know that God came down and he walked and communed with them in the garden there too. Relationships. We're created as social beings. Ladies in particular. I say that carefully, but it's true. I don't know too many lady hermits. I know some old guys that are kind of scary, isolated too long. But I want to ask you this evening, what's your most important relationship? Hmm, maybe some of the children are thinking about their best friend. Maybe those that are married are thinking it's their spouse. I trust this evening, if you're a believer, I'm not chiding if it didn't happen that your relationship with Jesus Christ came to mind first. Glenn and I had been married for over 27 years. And I was so in love when I got married, I had it all. I couldn't wait to get married. I could not envision the ability of my love to get any deeper or stronger. But it has and it does. Anyone here married 25 plus years? There you go. Are you at the end? Some days you may feel like it. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask some of these questions. Uh, let me tell you, I'll, I'll talk from my own experience. And if you can identify with me, that's great. And I... Oh, don't mind. I know some preachers or teachers that use chalkboards and that. I tend to move around more, and that's kind of hemming me in, so we'll keep it back there. Hopefully it doesn't fall over. My wife still has the ability to surprise me. And I think at times she does it on purpose. And other times I realize I just really haven't been as observant as I thought I was. Man, tonight if I asked you what your wife's favorite color was, could you tell me? Hopefully. Oh, okay, let's start with something easier. Her favorite food. Her favorite color. What about what shoe size she wears? You know, just how acquainted am I with somebody in a relationship? And of course, we're, we're here for a week of revival. We want to look into God's word and we're going to look at a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just want to start and preface this message by telling you that it applies to all of us. Because some of the hardest things is when we look into the Word of God is to see myself in this. And I invite you this evening for a text to turn to Mark chapter 5. At this point in Jesus' ministry, He is bouncing all over the place. He's on one side of the Sea of Galilee, then he gets in a boat and he goes across again. And then he comes back. And prior to where we're going to break in reading here, and I love this because we have a, a story within a story in the account that we're going to look at. The first part of the chapter, Jesus has been over in the Gadareans. 
he has met a man that is possessed with demons and nobody can tame him. And when Jesus inquires after the name of the spirits, it's legion because they are many. And Jesus delivers him and sets him free. In delivering him, those evil spirits needed somewhere to go and they begged Jesus not to be cast out into the deep. They asked to go into some swine. And I don't understand the entire spirit world. We're not going to go there this evening. Jesus grants a request. They go into the herd of swine, about 2,000. And it says that they all ran down a hill off a steep cliff into the water and they drowned. Now, the people who see this happen can only think one thing. There's 2,000 hogs that have been destroyed. They don't necessarily look at this man who's been enslaved for years and years with whom they can now actually sit down and talk and praise God for what happened. It says the people begged him to leave. They were afraid. They begged Jesus to leave. What did Jesus do? He got back in the boat and he crosses over again. And we're going to start at verse 21 in Mark chapter 5. We have here an account of a woman who has been sick with an incurable disease for 12 years, and we have a young girl who is only 12 years old, who has been healthy, but now lies at death's door. And this is where we're going to break in. Verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come, lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest a multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. We'll cease reading there. May the Lord bless this portion of the word. If we would continue reading, you know how this account goes. While this interruption is taking place, Jairus' daughter dies and they come to tell Jesus, don't bother coming. She's dead. Jesus goes and raises that little girl back to life. Jairus 
was a ruler of the synagogue. And these stories become more real as we try to place ourselves inside of them. Try to envision what it was like. Nobody got in their car and drove somewhere. There were no cars. In fact, they didn't even get on their stallion and whip them and go racing across the desert or get camels, whatever they have over there. Jesus used boats quite often. And when that wasn't there, he often walked. Transportation was a lot slower. And you will know from reading scripture that sometimes when Jesus departed in a ship, the people actually just followed on the shoreline. And when he got to where he wanted to go, they were there waiting for him. So things didn't just happen like that. So Jesus is coming across the sea. And I don't know how far out it was when people recognized, hey, that looks like those fishermen's boat. Now the one that Jesus travels in. And it says that people started to gather. Jesus was at the height of his ministry here. People came. People were hearing about what Jesus could do. In fact, this woman had heard, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. What has she heard? How had she heard it? Why is it important that people hear about Jesus? Or was that just for this day? And as Jesus gets closer to shore, a crowd is gathering. And lo and behold, remember now. Jesus, although he's in the height of his popularity with the people, was at an all-time low with the religious rulers of the day. And being a ruler in a synagogue probably was hearing all the negative stuff. I don't know how they passed stuff around. I don't know what it was other than just pure envy. Pilate knew it was envy. When he condemned Jesus, he said he's a just, he's an innocent man. He knew it was for envy that they wanted him put to death. There was nothing Jesus... In fact, all Jesus ever did was good for people. Jairus loved his little daughter to death. He would do anything for her. And parents, I think we can understand this. A parent's heart, if a child is sick, I would rather suffer it myself than have my children go through it. You can't do that. So what do you do? You do everything in your power to alleviate what they're going through. And Jairus knew there wasn't much hope. And when he knew it was Jesus, he came. And he didn't come in all his official pomp and ceremony and beg Jesus. He fell down in front of him and he begged him. Will you come and heal my daughter? And I like the way the account gives it. It says, and Jesus went with him. There was no hesitation. There was no stopping to consider. Jesus was being asked. Jesus answered promptly. And as they're making their way, and the streets that they did have, the town, the village, whatever place this was, they had a synagogue, so there had to be a village there. The streets weren't wide. They were narrow. They were dusty. They were... And I can just see Jesus... Walking with Jairus up through this street, heading towards the better part of town. He probably lived in a good house. And as they're going along, there's a woman who is sick, has been sick for as long as that little girl was alive. And her life has been nothing but a downward spiral because she's tried everything. She's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And each one must have claimed they could do something because they took her money. And instead of getting better, she got worse. And it said she had spent her all. She was destitute. She was desperate. Desperate. 
She heard Jesus was there. And somehow inside of her was a small kernel of faith that believed Jesus could heal her. But she knew she didn't have the right to approach boldly like Jairus did. She was, to all Jewish intents and purposes, ceremonially unclean. But she knows that if she can but touch Jesus, she believes she can be healed. And she decides to get close to him. And I can just see she's, she's in that throng and it's tight and it's pressing and there's an opening here and she slips over and there's an opening here and she slips over and she's getting closer and just kind of wiggling her way up until finally, finally she can reach out and touch Jesus' robe. And she does it. And immediately she is healed. Immediately. She doesn't have time to enjoy the awesome sensation of being whole before Jesus stops dead in his tracks and turns around and says, Who touched me? Who touched me? Why did Jesus do that? Was it to single a person out? I, I can just imagine her. It says she came trembling and fearing and fell down before him. But I want to go into this account in a little bit more depth this evening. I ask you tonight, can you see yourself in this woman? There's some important points here in this account that, that I believe are very, very significant. The very first one that, and we could pick a lot of, the, the, the one that really jumps out at me here is the fact that Jesus stopped. He stopped. Jesus was on a very important, urgent mission there to get to Jairus' daughter and just think of the good he could do if he healed her. And, and yet this woman reached out and needed help. And Jesus stopped. I want to tell you something tonight. That tells me something about God. He condescends to man and he has time for our problems. God this evening has time for whatever it is in your life that's not right. If you have any area of sickness that needs healing, God has the time to take care of it. And the next thing I see that is so significant is that you don't have to be a somebody for God to have time. You know, I don't know your backgrounds, and this is one of the great things about being able to go away and speak freely. Maybe you come from less than desirable circumstances. I don't have a big family and a Baptist tree behind me. But I know God cares as much for me as he does for the person with that royal blood flowing through their veins. God cares about you. No matter your social standing. You know, it seemed, it seemed like this was an interruption. As we said, Jairus' daughter went on and died during this time. But it, to me, speaks of the power, the grace, the mercy, the love of God in reaching out and meeting needs wherever they are.
However, there's a couple things that need to take place before we can discover that God has a time and that God will do it no matter who we are. And that's the fact we've got to recognize ourselves in this sort of a situation. Now look at this lady closely. Can you begin to identify with her? Her, first of all, despair. Verse 26. Had suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had, was nothing bettered, but grew worse. You know, Dr. Luke was kinder in his account. He says, and Luke was a physician, remember? He says, nobody could heal her. She had an incurable disease, so it was hopeless. But I want to ask you, have you ever found yourself in that situation? Have you ever struggled with something and you have determined that you are going to do better? You're going to take care of this. You're going to lick it. You're, you're, you're going to just... <laughs> and it's about as effectual as reaching down and grabbing onto your shoelaces and trying to lift yourself up, right? It's called pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. And don't tell me you never try it because I know we're all human enough we do that. We have something we are struggling with and in our despair, we think we can help ourselves. I don't know if we don't get to the end of ourselves soon enough or if we're just not willing to let God move in and do what he can do for us. So we're in despair to a degree, but maybe not desperate. She was desperate. She was desperate. She was willing to do whatever it took. It says when she heard about Jesus. What have you heard about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? How real is Jesus to you at this very moment? Well, he's a lot more real when we're sitting in a church pew. I know than what we are when we're out there sometimes facing temptation or in trouble. But what do you know about Jesus? I mean, we live in a nation, in a, in a continent that is supposedly suffused with the gospel. They, they know Jesus, don't they? Do they really know? Do they know who Jesus truly is? I wonder sometimes, do I? Do I truly know who Jesus is? Relationship. Can flourish. Relationship can stagnate. Relationship can die. And it's very easy to liken it. I know you're not all married, but in a marriage situation, and God likens the church as a bride of Christ, the bridegroom. Relationship with God can be compared to marriage on a lot of different levels. Now, in a relationship, I asked you earlier how well you know your spouse. How well do you know Jesus? What had this woman heard? I don't know for sure. We're not told. We're going to kind of go out on a bit of a limb here. I believe she heard enough to know that Jesus had the power to heal. She believed there was power in Jesus because she believed by simply touching that power, she could connect to it. And she did. She did. But I want to tell you something tonight about hearing about Jesus. What is the single most important thing God wants his children to do? 
Are you content tonight if you're saved? Are you content to just simply see your family following truth and you know that they're all heading in the right direction? And that's really where it's at. That's really all we need to worry about. Are you concerned tonight that everybody hears about Jesus? What if she hadn't heard about Jesus? Do you know the power of hearing about Jesus? Do you know what happened after this lady was healed? The word got out. The word spread. People heard that Jesus healed this woman. And I want you to look just over in Mark chapter 6. They go back over by ship, over back there to the land of the Gennesaret, where, where the demons had been cast out of that man, where they had asked him to go away. And at verse 53 in, in chapter 6, next chapter, let's read what happened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him, and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick when they heard where he was. And whithersoever he entered, into villages or cities or countries, they laid their sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. Now where do you think people got the idea that they could line up sick people and all they had to do is reach out and touch Jesus' garment? Where do you think they got that idea? I know where they got it. They heard about it. They heard about Jesus and the power he had and they lined him up in the streets, in the country, all over the place. But of course they were just copycats. It didn't work for them, did it? Did you keep reading? It says, as many as touched him were made whole. Brothers and sisters, I have a hard time. Do you realize that every needy person was healed? All they had to do was touch. But that took faith. That took, that took the desire to reach out and touch Jesus. We don't have, we don't have the depth of desperation we need at times. You know, back to this lady, her deliverance. It says that straightway, that means immediately, immediately. And I don't know of anybody other than people who have been touched in a special anointing service where God has healed them. And we know that God is a great physician. But I know that as we face sicknesses, as we go through a cycle of whatever it is, a cold or the flu, it takes time. We eventually get to the point where we're back to where we were. Instantaneously. It tells me nothing about God. When I finally, in my despair and desperation, get to the point where I am willing in faith to reach out and touch God, not only does He have time for me and stops and the power to take care of it, He will do it immediately. And I cannot fathom why it took me so long to get to that point in the first place. Why did I carry that around with me for so long? Why did I struggle with that? Why did I put up with that sickness when God has the power to take care of it immediately? Do you know, 
the power of God in your life? Have you been delivered on that sort of a scale that you can testify to what God's done for you? It says here, immediately Jesus stopped too. Why did Jesus stop? It says that he felt virtue go out of him. He felt power being accessed. And maybe somehow when we read that, we get the connotation that somehow we drain power out of God. But I want to tell you something this evening with full assurance. It does not matter if, and, and, and the proof is positive in the fact that as he walked those streets later, all those people touched him, they were all healed. He just kept on walking. All they do is touch him, they were healed. Jesus Christ has unlimited power this evening. He can heal all the sins in this earth. All of them. He has unlimited power. He did not stop because somehow he was feeling drained. He stopped in order to point out to all the people around about. One person in that whole crowd had faith on a level that no one else did. You know, earlier or later, I forget where it was in his ministry, there was a centurion had a sick daughter as well. And he went to Jesus. This was not a Jewish man. And he said, Jesus, I'm not worthy. You should come under my roof. All you have to do is say the word and you can heal my daughter. And it says that Jesus marveled greatly because he hadn't found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And the man says, I understand authority. I understand power. I'm a, I'm a centurion. I tell soldiers to go over there and they go. All you have to do is say the word. Jesus wanted to draw attention to this woman. Did he know? Yeah, he knew. Of course, the disciples said, oh, what are you talking about, Master? The people are bumping into it constantly. What do you mean, who touched me? And it says that Jesus looked about to see her that had done this thing. He knew, he knew. And what, what does this woman do? She comes down, verse, verse 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened, she comes down, falls down before him and told him all the truth. She told him all the truth. Doesn't Jesus know? Does Jesus know what is truth in my life? Sure he does. But it tells me something about the pathway to healing in my own life as well. God requires us to tell all. To tell all. I'd rather hide things at times. I'd rather find healing behind closed doors. I'd rather you didn't know about what's taken place in my life. Sometimes the things are pretty shameful, aren't they? We don't want people to know. Is it important? God says not only is it important, it's the only way. You cannot expect deliverance without that. Um, I want to turn over to Romans chapter 9 and just read a couple of verses there. 9 and 10, verses that you know off by heart. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Do you get this? There's some telling involved. Confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Confession is made unto salvation. It's not just simply enough to believe and raise your hands and say, I believe. You've got to confess some things. And this is why we don't live in victory sometimes. This is why the devil is able to keep us in his clutches. Because we don't get total healing. We like to claim that we've been healed. We like to claim the promises. And for a while we think maybe we have been. But if confession has not taken place, we're in trouble. James 5.16 Confess your faults one to another. So you can gossip about them and say, Did you know so and so did this? Oh, isn't that terrible? Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that ye may be healed. <laughs> there we have it again. And that's a confession to each other. God asks us to take it more than just to Him. We've got to be open with each other. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that word all. Circle it in your Bible when you find it because all means there's no limits. It's entirely right across the board. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no sin too terrible, too deep, too dark for God to recoil at and say, I can't handle that. Jesus turns to this woman and as far as I know, it's the only place here where he says daughter. He calls her daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. You're healed. And I believe with all my heart that as she went, she told other people what God had done for her. I believe she was a blazing candle that went out there and lit the fires and spread it to the glory of God. Do you know what? Maybe... Maybe some of our lack in reaching out to other people is because they don't see us in the proper light. They see us as saints. And that's, that's right. Okay, that's good and proper. We are called to be saints. God has cleansed us. He's given us white robes. But I believe, brothers and sisters, that what people need to see, what people need to know is that we're sinners who are saved by grace. That we have had struggles too. That we're not perfect and somehow on a higher plane than them. That we have been in the same circumstances and the Lord has delivered us. Now praise God if you've never been in heinous sins. However, we all have a sin nature. We all know what it's like to have to come and have that brought under the blood. And we got cleansing. I can recall the night I got saved, I felt like I was walking in the clouds. I just remember that burden, that guilt leaving. And believe me, I'd struggled with it for a long time. I knew I had it. I knew I had it. My despair, my desperation had to get deeper before I was finally willing to release it to the Lord. We need, we need to be witnesses for Christ. And that's a whole other subject, I know. Before we can be witnesses for Christ, we need to have a relationship with Him that is 100% whole, genuine, and sold out. You know, it's possible. You look at this crowd. Look at all the people that were there. They crowded Him. There were people who were bumping into Jesus as they walked because the disciples said, you're being jostled and you're asking who touched you. 
I want to tell you something this evening, brothers and sisters. It's entirely possible that you and I are part of that crowd. Just because you come in the doors to worship on a Sunday morning and just because you pick up the hymn book and you sing a song, you get down on your knees and you pray and you listen to the message out of God's Word, that does not necessarily mean that you are touching the Master. Because if you come and you touch the Master, your life keeps changing. The relationship keeps growing. And if you are just simply going through the motions, you're part of the crowd. You're bumping into Jesus, a source of all power who can handle whatever it is that's missing in your life and you're not getting it because you're not reaching out to Him. You're simply bumping into Him. Oh, it's a sad picture, but I know it's true. I know it happens in life. I know that's where some people are. They were pushing Him. They were pushing Him along towards their desired end. They wanted Jairus to get his daughter healed. Brothers and sisters, how many times do God people push Him? How many times do we do something and say, Lord, please bless our endeavors? When we never got in our prayer closet and fell prostrate before him first and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because I'll tell you this, that prayer is almost sacrilegious. Because if God is in what we're supposed to be doing, yes, we'll ask for his blessing, but we got his blessing already because that's what he wants us to do, right? And yet we, we take our paths and we say, Lord, you can't push can't push God. But one, one touched him. Last night, I asked you to make a commitment as we went through this week to allow God to speak to you, to allow His Holy Spirit to search you. I should raise your hand if you were there. I want to tell you something. I didn't look. I don't know if a single one of you raised your hand or if all of you raised your hand. That's between you and the Lord this evening, okay? But I'm going to... I'm going to ask that we offer a numbered invitation this evening. Brother Dan, what should we sing? Number 300. You can turn to that number before we sing the song. We're going to pause for prayer. Now we're just simply going to ask God to allow His Spirit here amongst us this evening and reveal to us what He sees. I don't know you. I don't know what your struggles are. And this evening you don't owe anything to me. I don't offer this invitation So that you can respond to me. I offer to give you the chance. To reach out to Jesus. Maybe you've never. Never made a choice for Christ. And you know God's been tugging at your heartstrings. Maybe you've started out on the journey. And somewhere along the line. It's, it's become a distant relationship. And you're just, you're just going through the motions. You know you need to reconnect. And maybe you have something serious in your life that somehow you haven't been able to reach out. I invite you just to stand as we sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause before you in this moment of silence. Lord, 
You know our hearts. You know where each one of us is. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit here this evening. Father, please reveal anything in my life that isn't the way it should be. And Lord, if you reveal something, Lord, just give us the courage to respond. We ask this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Shall we sing? And if the Lord speaks to you, I just invite you to stand to your feet. you to stand for a closing word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pause before you at the close of the service. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the record you've left us of these accounts that inspire us to faithfulness. And Father, we just thank you for the relationship that we can have with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you that that relationship can grow and can deepen. And Father, we thank you for meeting with us here this evening. Just bless these people. Watch over them as they go their various ways. Keep them safe, Lord. Until we meet again, whether it be here on this earth or over there in glory, around your throne for the ceaseless ages of eternity. Father, we just thank you. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>